As all New England soccer fans likely know, college soccer unfortunately really won't occur in earnest until the spring 2021 semester, if not later. But there's still a lot going on behind the scenes, and it's worth checking in with programs to see what's up. That's where the New England Soccer Journal's latest podcast episode comes in, and we connected with Amherst men's coach Justin Serpone to talk a wide range of topics. We discuss everything from a fall without NESCAC soccer to our broader role in the COVID-19 pandemic, how college recruiting is being affected, their roster long-term, and much more. Now, you might remember that Amherst was one of the first programs to cancel its fall 2020 season. They were somewhat ahead of the curve in Division III and made their call before the entire NESCAC shut down on July 10th. The dominoes fell pretty quickly from there, and ultimately here we sit in early September without much college soccer to be found. Before getting into our interview with Coach Serpone, be sure to check us out online at anysoccerjournal.com, where you'll find daily content on the New England soccer scene. Right now you can get an all-access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, plus every issue of our print magazine delivered straight to your home, office, or dorm. It's simple. Just log on to anysoccerjournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you. Now, let's get into it. Hey everybody, we are here with Justin Serpone, the head coach of Amherst Men's Soccer, a program that of course has really helped set the standard around here nationally as well. 2015 national champions made the D3 final last year against Tufts, a NESCAC rival. Uh, Justin, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, Jonathan, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped that you, you take the time to do this. I know, you know, we've talked a lot, but you know, all the stuff you've done for college soccer but just all sorts of different you know all the different levels of soccer in new england really deserves a a tip of the cap so thanks for continuing to do all the hard work i know it's not you know glorious or you don't get a ton of credit all the time but people that know certainly appreciate the the coverage and the and the attention thank you well i will say i'm never one to take a compliment well it always makes me a little embarrassed so (laughs) now you throw me off my game now but we're connecting here mid-late August, and normally this time of year, you'd be probably laying the finishing touches on a preseason plan, getting guys back on campus, etc. What would you be doing normally this time of year, mindful of the fact COVID's put a firm halt to all that? Take me into just kind of what a normal year would look like, which we're all craving right now. Yeah, I don't know. August 19th, we'd probably just be taking a deep breath before, you know, the craziness happens. We, you know, I think the way to describe a college season is it's like getting on a treadmill going 12 miles an hour, right? Like you, you, there's nothing to prepare for it, but you jump on and then you run as fast as you can. At some point, the thing's going to just stop. And and the same sort of whiplash you get on the back end because, you know, it just ends so abruptly. So it starts abruptly, it ends abruptly. So right about now, I'd probably be, uh, you know, making sure all the equipment's in, in, in stock and all the, Balls are pumped, but also probably just enjoying the last waning days of summer before the craziness hits because NESCAC, of course, our league doesn't come back for preseason until late August. So while everybody else would generally be practicing right now, I'd be, I'd be probably uh, just preparing for the, for the season. But we certainly miss it. I miss the energy. I think I sent my, my seniors a text two days ago, and I, I said for the first time, really this whole cycle like I've actually had that moment of reflection of like getting like kind of bummed right it's not we're not getting ready for a season this is this is so different than it normally is so but it is what it is 
as you mentioned, is that feeling of, damn, like this, this, this isn't happening. And, and we've seen the, the slow bleed over the last two plus months or so. The NESCAC was one of the first conferences to cancel. Um, I think the first D3 went around here, if I'm not mistaken. And Bowdoin, of course, was first. Uh, you guys, Wesley, and some others start following. Before we get into that, though, what's it like to not have that preseason, to not be gearing up for it? And I don't want to romanticize it too, too much, but I think there's something inherently enriching that goes with fall in New England and college soccer, and it's just a marriage of sorts that we're so used to having, and it's going to be weird. There's no denying it. So how are you experiencing this as a coach where something you've been doing now for 10-plus years at Amherst, it's a pattern that's broken now? Yeah, and you know what's funny? I don't know if you – I got up early this morning, and this has been the, the first morning we've had this whole summer where it's actually was chilly this morning, right? It almost felt like fall. And so it's kind of that, that, and I'm sure that that'll, that'll sort of, uh, there'll be other moments like that where you sit there and go, man, the rhythm of what I've been doing and and literally, so I'm 41. I mean, if you think about it, how many years in a row, like probably 30 years, every fall, just about this time, you're getting ready for a, for a season and, and the rhythm of your life is, is so that you can sort of, you know what you're going to be doing on this day and, you know, uh, when you're on vacation, when you're back for captain's practices in high school, you know, that, that sort of thing. And I think uh, this is the first time. So I don't know what it's going to feel like, to be honest with you. I mean, I think it'll be a, it'll be a different sort of feeling, but I'm just as curious as you are to, to see how it goes. I mean, I will say that, like, certainly the soccer piece of it all is somewhat jarring because that's what we do. But there's other places in life where everything is out of rhythm too, right? So, you know, I think I've seen my mom and my kids have seen their grandmother once in the last five months, right? Like that's, that's different. And so there's a million different pieces of the, of the people's lives that are, that are sort of thrown out of whack right now. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's too bad. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's, you know, there's nothing we can necessarily do about it other than, you know, join hands and try to get, get to the other side and, that's what I see my role as a coach right now. It's not to feel bad necessarily about my experience. It's to help uh, the student athletes on our team manage their way through this really unique experience for them as well. And, you know, we're sort of the adults. So the onus falls on us to, to, to sort of be leaders and, and do what we can to make it 10% better. As you mentioned that, I mean, I, I will jump ahead on my little outline here about the topic I was going to get into. I mean, you're someone who's always tried to look at the role of college athletics beyond the game, um, a, a, a true team culture, a, a commitment to a program beyond the X's and O's on the field. Mindful of this weird, uh, most unusual fall, how are you guys going to help players navigate this as a coach? What can you do? Is it really just being that resource of sorts? Like, how do you tackle this? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the million-dollar question. I mean, I think we're, we're – I think it depends – I think it's different for every every guy, right? And I – I just had a conversation the other day, and I don't know if this specifically answers your question, but I think when you think about, or when I think about team culture, and that, that's such a broad term, but I think that coaches, and, and I would have made this mistake, certainly, you know, uh, whatever, when, when I started and, and, and my thinking on this has evolved, you sort of think that your culture is set in sort of team, team situations. So you have the whole team in front of you, and you talk about, X, Y, or Z, and, and those are the moments where, where you're, you're doing your work as a coach to set what, what your program's all about. 
I think those moments are important, right? Because you, you're you're painting broad strokes. But I actually think 80% of your culture are the individual re- relationships you have with all your your team members, right? And your coaches and your and your uh, colleagues. And so, I think what's really integral right now for for for, for me, but for for coaches in general, is like understanding the nuances from individual to individual within your group, right? And because some kids, I mean, there's going to be student athletes on your team that are fine, right? They're, they're in a good place. They're, they got an internship or they're, you have a family structure that supports them in ways that others don't. But maybe there's other kids that really do need a little bit of guidance and a little bit of extra attention in this time. And so I've really tried to like every single day touch base with two or three guys, you know, either by Zoom or over the phone and just let them know that I'm there, right? And use me, don't use me, I, I'm good, right? Like, I don't need, it's it's up to them to sort of, and, and really, I don't, your relationship is also different because it's, it's you're not necessarily the coach, right? Like, you're you're in these times, I think, like a, like a mentor and an adult and a friend in some ways. And so I've tried to really spend more time focused on connecting with guys individually than I have the team Zoom that, like, you know, every, every, we didn't know what the heck we were doing five months ago. All these coaches are like, Oh, we're going to do team zoom every couple of weeks. That's helpful. But at the same time, like, I don't know, at some point it gets, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. You know? So, but individually, you know what people want to talk about. So I think navigating that has been hard on every coach to try to figure out what their, what their best personality in that situation is. So I think it's hard. I mean, I think it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be 12 months until we play our next soccer game. So it's also a more of a marathon than a sprint as far as, you know, being connected with your group. And it's all about showing kids you care and being a resource. And then, you know, that, that's what I think the main focus has been for us and will continue to be. I know you guys are having kids who are, some are on campus, some are off campus. Every school is dealing with this. How do you tackle that knowing there's kids in different time zones, different parts of the country? Like I, I know you guys have some guys from, from England, even. What's that like navigating this, knowing it's not just a, hey, everybody, we're all living in the same town in Massachusetts and going to the same high school, to use a, a random example. And that's exactly right. So, like, and that's why I don't think that the, 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 the group Zoom or whatever you want to call it is super effective because, like you said, we've got kids in California, kids in, in England, and it's almost impossible, right? So if somebody's an internship, well, you're never getting – you can't start till four o'clock or five o'clock. So the, the English kids on it's, it's, you know, it's midnight or whatever, you know, the, it, it's all messed up. And and I think that, that schools are dealing with that as well, as far as, because one of the things about the, the um, remote learning is that people said, Oh, we would rather have more live class. Well, okay. The 8am or 9am live class that schools are trying to do is 6am or, 5am on the west coast so it's like how the heck do you fit it all together and so i think everybody having their own plan and that's what i mean like i think the individual attention's as important as anything else and i think you know one of the things we talked a lot about when it comes to the to the decision making because you know as you mentioned all these teams are going through the same things is when you're thinking about well are you taking a semester off some kids have decided to do that are you going to you know come to campus because our first years and sophomores are allowed to come to campus at Amherst. Are you just going to do remote? All those things. Our message ad nauseum was academics, 
and your life situation comes way before soccer. Like soccer should be thing 77 on your list of, of things to worry about. And if, you know, it's certainly something, but like ultimately don't make decisions because there's going to be kids that, that the academic piece, what their priorities are, what their family's priorities are, is going to be different. And it shouldn't be a group think thing of like, oh, we're going to do this because we try to want to try to win an SCAC championship in 2021. Like, no, don't worry about that. Right. Like take care of yourself. And then I have your back. I am supportive. If people decide whatever they want to do, like that's going to be, that's going to be how we, how we operate. I mean, it's been a sprint, right? Like it feels like there's been one thing to decide after another, as far as this whole thing. And it's been, you know, uh, it's never felt like we've been able to take a deep breath. So I hope that this fall, once everyone's decided of what they're doing and, you know, has their living situation sorted out that they can then take a second and like, recenter themselves. I, I know I need to do that as well because you just feel like you've been in crisis management mode for the last for the last five or six months, right? July took a toll, I think, on a lot of people and our and our, our colleagues, our friends. Um, early August, late June, you guys, as I'm flipping over the screen here, uh, we connected in early July as you guys were the third NESCAC program to probably a week later or so, the NESCAC officially canceled the fall, looking ahead towards possibly a spring, but we know those question marks and, and what exists there. When we had connected, you were pretty straightforward in saying that you 100% agreed with the decision. There was more disappointment not at the decision, but at being here, being in this moment. And we don't need to go down a political rabbit hole or anything. I'm not asking you to do that. But what makes you kind of confident in that remark? Because that's an element of straightforwardness that I'll admit I don't often hear from college coaches. So what makes you kind of have that, that perspective and that outlook where you said you're, you're not disagreeing with a school and how they're coming to these conclusions. And that was way before we saw this massive onslaught throughout July where it was like every day a cancellation. So where does that come from? Yeah. I mean, I think it comes from, it's amazing to me that, it's even considered political, right? And it, it has become like people's opinions about everything feel political, but like, it, it, it's sort of sad to me that, that it's a political thing to say, you know, public health and looking out for one another should be paramount of how we operate. Right. And so I don't know, like ultimately, you know, I'm in this Jonathan, because I care about people, right? Like I, you know, Division three soccer, as much as we love it, is not, you know, leading the news, right? And it's not starting off Sports Center. And you know what? There's a couple hundred people that care really deeply about it. And and I'm one of them and you're one of them. And that's amazing. But we got to keep things in perspective, right? And I think I don't know why we're in this situation. Uh, I don't think we had to be in this situation. And I think it's incumbent on, again, the adults in the room um to make decisions that are difficult right and and i do think you know again not to be political but like th we've been lacking leadership at just about every turn right and and i don't just mean you know uh, you know from the federal government or state government like i just feel like everything has become so fractured and there haven't been people that have had to sometimes in life right leaders need to be able to give bad news, right? And, and, to, and to talk about shared sacrifice and to put other things above sort of 
their own self-interest. Would I love to be playing soccer in the fall? I mean, I think you've, you've observed our program. You've observed me. Like, I'm passionate about, about college soccer. I love everything about – it's like uh, – I, I absolutely love college soccer. And, our, and the season that, that we go through, the journey we go through every fall, I love our players. I love our staff. I love Amherst. I'm, I just love it so much. To, take, to not be able to do that hurts. Having said that, like, that's, I don't think, should be the priority at all. A thousand people in our country are dying every day. I mentioned before, I've seen my mom once in the last five months. Like, and we're worried about playing soccer or playing field hockey or playing volleyball. Like, I don't know. Like, to me, that, that's, again, number 77 on the list of things to worry about, right? If you can do it safely, let's do it right? Let's put our heads together and figure out ways to do it. We're not at that point, in my opinion. And others might have different opinions and people I respect have different opinions. That's okay. You know, we heard uh, Sean Doolittle, the, 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 uh, I, I'm going to attribute the quote to him. And I think he said it, but uh, the pitcher for the Washington Nationals talked about like sports is the reward for a functioning society, right? Um, I think that, that says it really well. And right now we don't have a functioning society, right? In, in my mind. And when a thousand people are dying a day, there's other things that are more important. And, you know, and, and I talked to our, our incoming first year parents about this, I think three or four days ago. I said, listen, like, this is how I feel. Like we'll do what we can practice wise in the fall, but it's not my priority. I don't care if you get better at soccer this fall. I, all I do is care about your kids being healthy and to be up in a good, a good uh, foot academically. And if you expect anything else, other than me, then Amherst isn't the place for you because that that's where my priorities are. And and like I said, no one has to agree with me. It's just where I'm coming from. So uh, I appreciate the question. It all saddens me. I, I don't think we need to be in this spot, but, but we are here. And the sooner that we take that seriously and understand it and figure out how to, how to look out and put other people ahead of ourselves, I think the, the sooner we're going to get out of it. Yeah, I mean, I'll admit even on a personal level, too. I mean, I, I have many of the same experiences you're referring to, where I think, like you said, it's taken that moment to to take a step back and, and realize, in the grand scheme of things, as passionate and committed as we are to this game, um, it's unfortunately pretty small at the moment, uh, comparatively. And one other part, just to explore one last area with this, the NESCAC was a little bit ahead of the curve, um, canceling before others. There's been a sentiment from your D3 coaching colleagues that it seems like, hey, the NESCAC made the decision, and then we followed the lead, meaning other conferences, other schools, uh, Ivy League as well, um, Patriot League, not shortly thereafter, if I'm not mistaken, or, short, or, or at least nearby. But we're all hoping for that spring. How do you view that outlook or that prospect? Because I think a lot of people are holding on to that hope, knowing the massive logistical challenges, particularly in a D3 environment, are profound. It's a good question, and I, and I, <laughs> yeah, I wish I had the answer. I mean, I think that I have a hard time believing there's going to be competitive intercollegiate sports before there's either a vaccine or therapeutics that are, are, are shown to work and protect the, the most vulnerable parts of our population, right? So like, I don't, I don't see, I think it's going to be hard short of that to have any sort of traveling between campuses and all that. And that's just my own, like, you know, viewing it on a macro level. Could we do stuff within a community? I mean, I think one of the great parts about 
But, you know, Amherst is bringing back, and there's some schools that aren't bringing back students at all to their campuses, right? UMass right down the street. Amherst is, and I think that why I feel comfortable with the Amherst plan is, you know, we're testing twice a week for our entire community. Um, there's contract tracing plans in place. Like, I think what we're going to prove and find out over the next few weeks or months is can these sort of micro bubbles, right? And it's not a true bubble necessarily like the NBA, for instance, but can these these sort of campuses at least reduce the risk, right, significantly to get ourselves to a point where if there are treatments that show a little bit of progress, that now we feel like we can bring back four classes of kids in the spring. And so I think it's a balance on a, on a lot of different levels. And, and everybody's looking it around just going, well, okay, we're going to know in a month where we stand. Certainly North Carolina, Michigan State, of course. Notre Dame changing course a little bit. It's not great, but let's see. Let's see. And I think that, that it's going to be a huge responsibility, right, on the student athletes and the students at these college campuses to also share responsibility, right? And like to, to be accountable to make good decisions. That's going to be a huge part of this, right? Like, and I think, man, I, we, look, we, you know, we love sports. We love teams, right? It, society's one big team. Like it's going to take, you know, some, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take everybody looking out for one another. Like when you just talked about your own experiences, like I, I, it makes my heart hurt because that's such a bummer. Like how did we let Jonathan Siegel down or Justin Serpone down or all the people that we know by putting our, our, ourselves in a situation where, you know, we, we are not able to hug our parents or, you know, uh, worry about our kids going off to school. Like, gosh, there's got to be more we can do. And I heard something yesterday, and I'll be quiet about this, but, but I heard something that really resonated with me, which is when, when you prevent something from happening, you don't know what's overkill and what's not, right? So when, when an event doesn't happen, it's really easy to go back and say, oh, well, we did too much. I would rather do too much and be on that side of the, that side of the equation and then say, hey, you, you know, we, we, we overcorrected there. And then, and then be sort of criticized for that. Then doing too little. And again, having all these things that, that we are so used to in our, in our lives not, not be able to take place. Or a thousand people a day right, dying and people hospitalized. And I just think, I think we all need to do a little bit more. So, all right, I'm off my soapbox. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet for now. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate your honesty. Cause I mean, I, I think a lot of people do share that perspective as well. The, the shared responsibility, the ideas of buy-in um, they're the cliches in some ways that we hear coaches talk about all the time. Uh, as you mentioned, society being one big team, I think was your phrase. They're the athlete uh, qualities that we all look for and they, they apply to life as well. Um, it doesn't just get contained to our sport and just to transition for a moment as well, you guys are bringing back a special group, one that only lost a couple key players, namely guys like Cutler Coleman, Dane Lind. But much of this 11 was back. Much of the starters were back, an interesting and exciting freshman group. What was the impression you had of just the group coming together and, and what 2020 could have meant for Amherst soccer? And I don't want to make you sad or, or, or anything, but like, that's the thing I think people from afar get a little excited about where they're like, wow, this team that made a final, like this could have been an awesome year type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, there's, there's, 
there's bad news and good news. And the bad news is we don't get to try to, you know, go on that journey to win a championship this fall. I think everybody was really excited to try to do it again, right? And try to try to we did have a, a strong group. So that's the sort of bad news is that we don't get to do that. The good news is breaking news on here. I mean, I think, you know, all seven of our seniors, yeah, seniors will be returning for the 2021 season. So every single guy in our group will be back for 2021, right? And we'll add not just the 20 first year class, but the 21 first year class who we're really excited about potentially. We're putting things on pause and we're going to have to be patient, right? And for now, we're going to be patient. And, and I, in that same text that I sent to the seniors the other day, I said, this is the time to be patient, but next fall, I can't wait not to be patient because we're going to be urgent. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be burning the boats and trying to do whatever we can to suck all the marrow out of the 2021 season and be together and do our best. And, you know, we always talk about if, if you're part of our program, you hear me say this in a thousand times over the course of your four years, Amherst soccer is not about winning championships. It's about trying to win championships, right? It's about all the things in the, in the along, in the, in the, in the journey to do that. That's where we find our, that's where we find our love and our, our, our care for our program. And so there's no amount of money in my pocket or in your pocket or in our bank accounts that you could pay to have that experience. You only get to do it, you know, for four years. Right. And so what I wouldn't give to go back and to have that, that chance in college and be around my teammates, but we get to do that every, every fall. And so that's a, that's not something that's sort of a, a birthright. Like that, that's something we need to appreciate and be grateful for. And I, I'm hopeful that this, this pause, this, this time that we need to be patient and put other things as a priority will make us appreciate being together next fall even so more, right? More than ever. And I, and I believe that that's going to be true. And I, I can't wait. I'm smiling as I'm, I'm talking to you saying this because just the, the thought of being back together again as a full group is going to be pretty awesome. What is it about the program overall that you think leaves those guys so excited to come back? You mentioned the seven seniors. Um, this is D3 soccer. We talk about this all the time. I mean, these kids could say, okay, had a great four years at Amherst, however many, whatever their plans are this fall, how the pieces mathematically come together. And then they could say, okay, I want to get the show on the road. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I basically, <laughs> you know, tried to, tried to, sort of red team it and, and, and talk them out of it, right? For every single one of those seniors, I tried to say to them, this is why you shouldn't return. Because if you do, then I, I want you to, because if you decide that you do, I want it to be for the right reasons, right? And so, you know, it actually makes me probably more proud than anything, than anything else that we, we, we have a, a group that people want to be around and a program that people enjoy. That's the way more important than all the wins and the championships and all that stuff. It's that, it's that we've created something that, that people value and that, you know, I think it's, you know, we talk a lot about love. We talk a lot about care. We talk a lot about sacrifice in our program and it, it really is advanced citizenship in a lot of ways. And, and I'm, I'm really proud that those guys have, you know, value it and want to want to be around each other in spite of their, in spite of their coach. Uh, probably, you know, trying screwing things up on, on his, on his tactics or his strategy or practice sessions or any of that. They, they still, uh, they still enjoy one another and, and the process. So it really does, uh, make me happy, but I, I, I would have been thousand percent supportive of anyone that said, 
hey, you know what, coach? I just got some other stuff going on. Of course. Like, that's, that's what I expected to happen. You mentioned the 21 class, and, and, and I know you can't speak specifically to players. I wouldn't ask you to. But how have you seen the, just the dynamics and, and the recruiting cycle, landscape, mindful of COVID? Because I think a lot of people are worried or, or anxious or curious about just how recruiting for that 21 year is looking mindful of all the changes that have been thrown our way. How have you observed this as a D3 coach? It's hard and I don't have any good answers. And and I've said that really, I've been really forward with, you know, prospective student athletes about that. Like this is hard. I'm, you know, I think exacerbating the fact that they haven't been able to be seen as normal. I'm able to take, you know, standardized tests normally, even though some schools have gone test optional. The, the other part of it is with kids returning to all these schools, right, whether it's seven or five or three or ten or whatever, it's going to limit spots on teams because you can't, like, you can't have 40 guys on a roster. I think that that's a real challenge. And there's going to be 21s that end up taking a gap year or PGing. I think you're going to see that probably much more than you did before. And I, I, don't, I don't blame anyone because ultimately – you know, those juniors, rising seniors, have to do what's best for them, right? And, and I, I think they're going to have to consider, for the vast majority, doing things in a way that's nonlinear, right? And it's not going to be probably the way that them or their parents drew it up, but that doesn't mean that it can't. It's going to be a little bit more work on their, their end. And that's a bummer, and I feel for all those rising seniors because it's, it's a really unique year. How has it impacted you guys as a program? What type of players are you able to, to talk to? has there been a, a tilt or an impact or an effect on Amherst and just the landscape overall with who you normally would have talked to versus now? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, we've been really lucky. Matt Travis, who's my assistant right now, has crushed his 2021 group. He's been, he's done an awesome job. And so we were in a really good spot. And just the timing of it all, like if you were organized with this group early, it didn't like the timing. You probably saw a lot of kids in New Year list before March, but the the biggest thing is the PPA camps, which we run at Amherst. Those aren't those are postponed right now, and that's been a a really giant way for us to evaluate kids. And you know, I've also been pretty stubborn with while there are other camps going on. I just don't think it's fair or responsible right now to run a camp and ask kids to to cross state lines or you know, like I I just. I don't think it's right. I don't think that this is a time where we should be running tournaments or camps. We're not going to do it until it's safe, uh, which could be, I don't know. I mean, who knows, right? Later in the fall, over the winter. We feel okay about where we're at. You know, we have a couple of really players that I'm really excited about that are applying early decisions, so that's cool. But certainly it's not a completed class yet, but I, I do think there are going to be a couple guys that are able to help us right away. I think we're okay. We're going to survive. But it's certainly been a different, different experience, different summer. Of course. I don't know if you know this. I used to go to the PPA camps when I was younger a little bit. Um, I went to a couple. I don't know. Holy I smokes. I can't believe I never told you that. Yeah, I, I went to a couple. I think it was like, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Probably was 15 or 16 at the time. Holy smokes. Was it at Amherst? Yeah, yeah. Stayed in the dorms. Did one, one of my high school friends. Did the whole swing. Yeah. Ten, probably 10,000 degrees in those dorm rooms. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's one, of the, that's one of the parts I remember. No, they were fun. They were, yeah, and as you mentioned, it's a big part of getting able to see kids and, and for them also getting a sense of the Amherst soccer environment because they're on campus, et cetera, all that comes with that. And 
one other just kind of Amherst specific question I wanted to ask and thing you guys were going to be returning uh, D3 National Player of the Year, NESCAC Player of the Year, Herman Gemetti. What is it about Herman that you found to be special, unique, et cetera? What has he meant to this program? A kid who is going to be a junior, how has he impacted this program? What has he meant to you? He's incredible, right? I mean, he's just had, you know, right from his first moment on campus, he's had such an impact on the field. You know, I, I think at one point last year when he was on a roll, he ended up with 26 goals. Uh, I randomly, I don't know, he had like 12. I actually think, Jonathan, I think I talked to you after the Colby game. Yeah. I was driving to either back to, I think I was going scouting or something, and he had just scored the game winner against Colby. I think like that night I looked at the NESCAC record. And I was like, oh, I wonder what, I think that kid Alex Blake from Williams set the record in the early 90s. Like, I wonder how many goals he scored. And I saw it was 26, and I was like, all right, well, that's impossible. Like, that's legitimately impossible. Like, I, I can't even picture in my brain how you score 26 goals. And at the time, Armand had, like, 12. Sure enough, he ends up with 26. Incredible. Like, I think he had four hat tricks last year. And I'm, I'm really effusive uh, uh, in praise about Armand, and, I, and I, I feel like I'm able to do it because he, as – talented of a soccer player he is he's equally as good of a kid and as good of a teammate the the number one thing from the 2019 season that I'm most proud of and I encourage any uh, anyone listening to this podcast to go check it out is we were he was in the post-game press conference after the national semifinal somebody asked him I don't know to describe like scoring three goals in the game he scored three goals in that semifinal game or whatever, just kind of expound on that. It's like a minute and 20 seconds where he, all he does is talk about his teammates and deflect praise. Right. And talk. And he mentions guys in that minute and 20 second answer that played like six or seven minutes that night. Right. Highlighting Daniel Arzmendi coming back from injury, talking about how he's just putting good spots. That's, that's what it's about to me. And so I, I, I could talk about Herman all day because of the type of person that he is. And he's so passionate about our team and our program. And he's named a captain for this coming year, not just because of his on-the-field talent, but because he's so looked, looked to as a leader and as a, as a, as a teammate. So uh, he's meant everything. And, you know, I'll never probably coach a player with the, the impact Herman has had. We've had statistical impact. We've had a lot of good players. I've been so lucky. I don't even know how, what I've done to deserve to be so lucky to have players like Julian Ayama, Nico Pascal-Leon, Thomas Bull, like Spencer Noon, studs, right? And, and Herman's right in that list of guys, and, he, and he's just finishing his sophomore year. So I, I could talk about him forever. He's meant everything. He's really good. He's been so loyal to me and loyal to his teammates, and we love him. Giant part of our program. Yeah, I can hear it in your, in your voice. And I'll add, when I've connected with Herman, I expected a – a NESCAC leading scorer to have a little bit more confidence in kind of how he talks about himself. But as you mentioned, he's a very shy, maybe not the right word, but he he doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about the team, the group. And at times you're like, man, just say anything about your game, like anything, but he doesn't want to, he just wants to to turn it elsewhere. And I'm sure, yeah, this kid is two more years in the program. Who knows where it could go. And that's really exciting. But as we kind of covered a lot of ground, I, I just wanted to bring things full circle for a moment and just kind of leave you with 
when you guys are playing that next game, when you are having that full team practice, what will that kind of mean to you? What, what, what is that moment of having Amherst soccer back together where you guys departed in March and how will you guys, you think, experience that? It's going to be awesome. I mean, I think that's ultimately like what you just talked about, right. Is like really what it's all about. Like hopefully this time, which is so challenging in so many different ways, allows us to appreciate. I think sometimes it's really easy, especially when you're, you know, 18 to 22 year old kid to take things for granted. Right. And to sit there and and think, Oh, this is just how it works. Right. Like, you know, you're around your, this is how your college experience is. But when something's taken away from you, you you, you can appreciate it so much more. And so I just think that there's going to be a lot of appreciating that goes on getting, getting your, giving a high five, like being together in that, in that group again, makes me, makes me smile and makes me sort of like uh, wish that, that, you know, we were as appreciative every day of our life. And that's one of the things, Hey, listen, one of the things about, we all know the challenges that, that COVID has placed on people and, you know, uh, certainly in many different ways, but at the same time, like it's also opened opportunities. And I hope that uh, everybody's also appreciating the things that they're able to do now that they weren't able to do before. Right. Like, I don't know if I'm probably going to get a call from child services, but my seven-year-old son who's in love with the NBA, like we watch legitimately three NBA bubble games every single day, like just the two of us. Right. And not the two of us, the rest of the family's kind of bopping around. And when am I ever going to get the chance to do that again? That's so special. And so awesome. My, my littlest one, Annabelle, she's three, like this whole time for five months, every morning, we go on adventures, right? And I've been, we've been traveling as a family. So like we were in Maine, we were in Pennsylvania, and then we're back in Western Mass now. We'll take an hour in the morning after breakfast, go somewhere, go on a hike, go to the lake, go wherever. Like I'm never going to get the chance to do that again. So while, while it's, it's easy to sort of long for what you're missing, and we're going to love being back together. I can't wait till life's normal. I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts four times a day. Um, you know, all the things that, that I love to do. Uh, I'm able to do again. I also want to pause and appreciate these times. And and I also want to be a messenger for our student athletes to do the same, right? Because, you know, I know they're all in their homes and they're around their, their families and they're probably sitting there going, mom and dad, this, or my sister, brother, that, like, they're not going to have that opportunity five or six or 10 or 20 years now. Right. So like, I'm, I'm trying to message to them, like, well, this is also a chance for us to to have experiences that we wouldn't have had otherwise. We will be together again. We will get through this. We will play soccer again. I'm sure, you know, NESCAC teams will. Everyone's going to get another shot at, at, at kicking our butt. So I'm looking forward to that happening. Um, I'm also looking forward to the times that we have now, the shared sacrifice that's going to be all of our responsibilities moving forward uh, and, and, you know, getting through this as a – as a team, as a community, as a soccer community, uh, and as a society. No, I think that's very well put and something that we all can, there are those, um, those harder days. We've all had them during this. We all have. There's, there's the highs and the lows. There are days where you feel like you're crushing it. There are days where you feel like, man, this is really taking a toll. I'll say I look forward to when we can write about and, and cover and observe a, a D3 men's soccer game to D1 women's soccer game, high school, whatever it might be. We all want soccer back in our lives and I'm confident we'll get there in due time. But 
just want to give you a massive thank you for, for coming on and, and talking about a whole host of topics um, that I know are dear to your heart as well. Hope you guys continue to stay safe, stay healthy, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. Uh, we always are. Jonathan, thanks. And, and, and again, I want to just reiterate just one more time, like the work that you and your colleagues do is really important. And I'm sure you don't get feedback that's, that you deserve all the time for, for the hours and the traveling and the phone calls and all that. But it really is appreciated by so many people in New England, all the hard work you put in. It doesn't go unnoticed. And, and I know so many people read it and, and appreciate the, the time and love and care you put into it. And that's a wrap. I want to give a big, big thanks to Justin Serpone for coming on, plus all of our listeners for tuning in. Until next time, I'm your host, Jonathan Siegel, and you've been listening to New England Soccer Journal, a Siemens Media Podcast.